Thank you very much, James. It's a, a real privilege to be here at New Horizon. It is my first time. Uh, James said to me earlier, I've been to every single New Horizon. I was, wow. He said, it's so good. I want to be here every year. Isn't that a commendation? Well, uh, <clears throat> I left uh, my family in London in the very early hours of this morning to come and be with you today and tomorrow. And uh, in London yesterday, the weather was um, a little bit more exotic than it is here. <clears throat> so I dressed accordingly. <laughs> um, but it's not that cold, so I don't mind being in shorts and shorts loose shirt. It's great to be with you. We live in a little place called Wimbledon in oh. southwest London. And uh, yeah, we had a little yard game we play there once a year. And uh, we just had that. And uh, uh, I have a wife and three children there, 9, 11 and 14 years old. And we're going on holiday together on Friday. So we're very excited. So today is all about community transformation. And I wanted to begin, if I may by asking Hillary just to say a little bit more about herself. So you know a bit about me, my family. I started Cinnamon Network. You'll hear more about that. But Hillary, why don't you come and introduce yourself? Thank you. Um, my name's Hilary McClay. I live in East Belfast, and I work part-time in a church there. It's an Anglican church called Willowfield. Um, my husband is the rector. And we have tried over the last 17 years to find almost any way we can to tell people in our local community the good news of Jesus. So it's been a, a, a real journey of trying to um, demonstrate as much by what we do, probably more than by what we say, who Jesus is and the good news that he offers. So we've tried all sorts of different um, projects and ideas and challenges, and some have been spectacular failures. And um, some, by the grace of God, we've seen people coming to faith and we've seen people um, meeting Jesus and having their lives you know, really literally turned around. And we live in a, and work in a very broken community. I'll tell a little bit more of one story um, later on, but that's, that's basically me. I'm my part-time job um, with Willowfield, part-time job with Cinema, and I'm also part of the leadership of New Wine Ireland. And I'm a mum of three grown-up children, mother-in-law to two, and I'm going to be a granny later on in the year. So life is quite exciting at the moment. So uh, not that I can claim really any credit for that, but, <laughs> but that's me. Thank you, Hilary. Well, I heard that people at New Horizon know their Bible quite well. Is that right? Anybody? <laughs> Nobody's putting their hand up, James. <laughs> so if I was to begin a Bible verse, could you complete it for me? I... Uh, yeah, I thought you'd probably go there. I alone. I alone. Think Old Testament. No. Oh, the. <laughs> I alone know the. Sorry? Plans? I have for you. Plans not to harm you. Plans to prosper you and bring about the future you hope for. It's perhaps one of the best-known uh, Bible texts. I remember when I first uh, found Jesus, or Jesus found me, to put it more theologically correctly, um, it was one of the Bible verses that I first memorized. But often uh, we remember that verse out of context. So at the start of this seminar, I wanted to read the whole section if I may, from Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. And you will understand the context 
Um, it is the prophet Jeremiah speaking to the people of Israel. They have uh, been exiled. They've been taken from their home and they've been taken to a place that they haven't chosen by a foreign uh, uh, military force. And Jeremiah is speaking on God's behalf to Israel at that point in her history. So, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 to 14. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I alone know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me. And find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. It would be so tempting for God's people at this point in history, exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon, to think, well, we're not going to be here long. This is a foreign place, a foreign city, a foreign language, foreign culture, foreign food. Let's just, let's just hunker down and survive. Let's not build homes because we're not going to be here very long. Let's not have children because we don't want them to be born in this environment and we'll be back from where we came from soon. Let's not, let's not try and bless this place that we've been forcibly taken to. It would so, be so easy for God's people to have that mentality. And perhaps sometimes, and we wouldn't be like this, but sometimes Christians can think like that about this world. Actually, this is temporary. We're not going to be here very long. 
it's not really God's. It's God's place is what's going to happen later. Let's not invest here. Let's not build here. Let's not try and prosper here. Let's not bless this place because it's temporary. But actually, what Jeremiah speaks to God's people is the exact opposite of that. He said, build homes, plant gardens, eat the fruit, marry your children. Do not decrease in number. Have children and grandchildren. Invest in this place. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city because I alone know the plans I have for you. Plan to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to bring about a future full of hope. You know, I don't know if any of you are facing a, a difficult situation right now. Difficulty in a relationship at home, a difficulty in a relationship at work, a difficulty in a relationship at church or in the community. I mean, whatever the context, it normally comes down to relationships. God is saying to you, I have a plan to prosper you. Now, the danger is we take this passage. It's a wonderful exhortation from Jeremiah. We take this passage and we hang on to that promise. I alone know the plans I have for you. And it's all too easy for us to want to hang on to God to receive the blessing and the future that he has for us. But we so easily hang on to the promise without recognizing there is a condition attached to receive the promise. And the condition was back in verse 7, where Jeremiah said, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. By which you can read, we can read, if our city, our town, our village does not prosper, there will be a glass ceiling upon the blessing that we can receive from God. Because God's promise of prosperity and a future full of hope is conditional on our pursuit of the peace and the prosperity of the place where we live. A few years ago, I felt God challenged me deeply uh, I, I, I met uh, some young people at the age of, uh, well, it was, it was back in 89, 88, and uh, I gave my life to Jesus. And I began to discover all that Jesus wanted for my life. In 89, I sat and listened to Billy Graham um, preaching every night in Mission, England. Uh, trained as a counsellor, and by the end of the week of having sat and listened to him every night, I was convinced uncomfortably I confess but I was convinced that God was calling me to preach I've been preaching ever since some people wished I hadn't uh, um, but but I've been on this this journey with Jesus and and a few years in I felt Jesus really challenged me because so much of my focus was about me and Jesus and taking as many people with me to heaven as I could when I died there's nothing wrong with that. Those are great laudable things. But I actually realized that I'd, 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 I'd internalized my faith completely. It was all about me and Jesus again into heaven. 
And I felt God challenged me to deprivatize my faith. To take that which I'd reduced to this, per, this private matter between me and him and put it out there in the public square. And uh, you know, Jesus said, didn't he, you, uh, I, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. So it illuminates the whole room. In the same way, let your faith so shine before men and women that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's nothing private about that faith. Does that faith that Jesus described in any way sound private? Our faith is not meant to be something private hidden under a bowl. Instead, it's put on a stand so it illuminates our environment so that other people can see it and see the good that comes out of it and also choose to glorify our Father in heaven. Our faith is profoundly personal, but it is not private. Those are different things. We have a personal faith that is public. And this, I believe, is the call of Jesus for his church to deprivatize its faith, to take that which we are convinced by and allow it to salt and light, to color and flavor the community, the village, the town, the city that God places us in so we can seek its peace and prosperity because our hope, our future, our prosperity is hinged actually on the peace and prosperity of the place where we live. I actually thought, well, how do I begin to do that? And uh, I joined a political party. Please don't laugh at me. I'm very sensitive. But it was a bit like joining the gym. I don't know if any of you, any of you have ever joined the gym in the new year, I'm sure. You all look very fit and lean. I, I needed to join the gym. No, but but, but you, you join the gym and then six months in you think, oh, I've paid all this money and I've not been. Well, I actually went once, but not since. And, and, and it's a bit like joining the church. You, know, you can join the church and you can wear the badge, but you don't do anything with it. It's a, bit like, a little bit like that for me and joining a political party. I paid my fee, my subscription. I got my, actually got a nice little membership card, went in my wallet. It was really nice. And proudly walked around for a while thinking, okay, I'm a member of a party. And, uh, and I thought, I need to do something with it. So I remember one Saturday going and volunteering for my local political group. I'm being very careful here not to be party political. <laughs> very careful about the words I use. Um, and... Uh, I turned up, I didn't know anybody, and uh, within 15 minutes of arriving, they said, uh, Matt, could, could we have a quiet word? And I thought, oh my goodness, I've put my foot in it, I've said something wrong. And they took me into a side room and they said, uh, Matt, we have a local election coming up in a few months' time. And one of the wards in London Borough of Merton, in Wimbledon, is uh, it, it, we can't find any of the party faithful who want to be our candidate there because it's a completely unwinnable seat. So what we're looking for is a mug. No, so what we're looking for is a volunteer <clears throat> who lives in the ward, who is a member of the party, who would be our candidate. Uh, and it's what we call a paper candidate, because 
if the ballot paper goes out to the community and we don't have a candidate, it looks really bad on the party. So what we're looking for is somebody who will simply allow us to put their name on the ballot paper um, so that we have a representative. Uh, and so would you be our paper candidate? Uh, I agreed, um, and I was travelling as I normally do, and in between travelling I'd go and knock on doors and go to community meetings and, you know, and just speak about my hope for the community. Uh, I remember on election night, I didn't, Nelly didn't go to the town hall, and I was out with a friend and I said, Chris, do you fancy a laugh? Uh, he, was, he, he, he was very enthusiastic about his yes, especially when he found out it might be about me. <clears throat> and I said, I've been in a local election today. Should we go to the town hall and see how badly I lost? He said, yeah, let's do it! <laughs> so off we went, uh, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight, 1 a.m. It was a school night, for goodness sake. 2 a.m. in the morning, uh, the chief exec of the local government took to the podium and he began announcing the results. He got to my ward in the centre of Wimbledon. And he said, the winner is Matt Byrne. <laughs> this wasn't meant to happen. <laughs> wasn't meant to happen. I mean, I was shocked. You should have seen the look on the face of the, my party leader. <laughs> we just elected a guy we hardly know. He volunteered once for 15 minutes. And I began to get involved to try and work out what it meant to follow Jesus in civic life. And really that has become defining for me and my personal calling and my, my, the call I feel Jesus put upon me for his church to help his church deprivatize its faith and make it real out there in the community and in the public square. And that's why I started Cinnamon Network, to help churches lean into and be that salt and light transformative influence in their communities. So thank you for coming to this seminar. That was the introduction, by the way. Um, thank you for coming to this seminar, because I'd actually like to get quite practical. Um, so there's a couple of things I want to talk about, models that we've developed that we help churches with. And I mention them specifically because they're helpful case studies, but also they might be helpful tools for you to use. And then Hillary's going to come and talk about some stories and experiences that she's seen uh, of churches leaning into and engaging in the community. Would that be okay? Okay. And then there'll be time for, for any comments or questions. So one of the things that um, we've realized in terms of helping the church engage at a civic level, the church is really good at telling stories, aren't we? We're led by professional storytellers. Now, some of them are better preachers than others, but, you know, professional storytellers. That's, that, that's, uh, and so our, our churches, we, we're, we're big on stories, aren't we? We've changed lives and changed communities. But the thing is, if we want to engage civically, have you ever noticed they're not that impressed by our stories of conversion and transformation? Have you noticed that? Um, and that's because they speak a different language. And they speak the language of impact, metrics and numbers so cinnamon network we developed a tool for helping the churches in a community whether a village or a town or a city measure its social and economic impact as a way of them being able to go to civic leaders and civic agencies to say here is the value of what we 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 contribute and we found actually producing evidence hard evidence about the value of the church's impact in a community 
it makes people sit up and listen in a way they've never listened before. We've now supported 92 villages, towns and cities to measure their social and economic impact. It's called the Cinnamon Faith Action Audit. And uh, it's the most comprehensive research of its kind. It now covers more than 20% of the UK population. The respondent rate is over 46.5% to be precise, which is off the charts. If you know anything about market research, anything in double figures is good, let alone nearly 50%. So it's very robust. And, and this research is, is all about focus locally to help the church engage. But we've also aggregated it and extrapolated it to produce a national UK report. And it values the time, just to give you a sense of the scope and the scale, it values the time, of the, the time given by the church to community each year at more than three billion pounds. It's quite incredible. The, the Times newspaper wrote uh, an article and the, 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 the headline was Loving thy neighbour is priceless, but it's also worth three billion pounds a year. It's quite a nice headline, isn't it? Um, but the whole focus of this research is about driving local partnerships. In one place where we helped them do the Cinnamon Faith Action Audit, they launched the research and people from the local government came, local police and other agencies as well as from all the churches. And the government said, this is wonderful, we had no idea you were doing this much amazing work in our community. We would love to work with you more, but we have a problem. There are too many of you. When we want to consult, or when we want to coordinate, or when we want to do something, there are just too many churches. We can't consult and coordinate with you all. Couldn't you form some kind of network and work collaboratively uh, with us to serve the community? And the churches thought, yes, we can do that. So they set up a network across the community. It was actually a small city in the north of England. And they set up a network across the city and appointed a single point of contact who would be the conduit between the churches and the local government and other agencies. Now that, that city and the church in the city have got six work streams that they're collaborating on together about seeking the peace and prosperity of their city. Isn't that incredible? And I could tell you many other stories. There's a, a story here that I, I love in Northern Ireland of a of a, of a local government in Armagh who got hold of some of the research about the impact of active churches on the community. And the Council of Armagh had a huge challenge about antisocial behaviour in the town. Anybody here from Armagh? Well, there we go. You may know this story. Um, and uh, they had a big problem around antisocial behaviour of young people. And they approached Cinnamon Network and said, do you think the churches in Armagh would be willing to work together to address antisocial behaviour? And we said, we can ask them. And our Tommy, who sat there, who works with us, uh, brought some of the churches together and they brought some of the local government together and the police. And they launched a project to address antisocial behaviour in the local community. Because... Our faith makes a difference. Our faith is actually a force for good in society. The Christian gospel is genuinely good news, not just for us, not just for the saved, but the Christian gospel is good news for our communities. 
So we've developed a little tool. <clears throat> so one tool that we developed was the Cinnamon Faith Action Audit, a, a much simpler tool, <clears throat> and we call it the Cinnamon Impact Pathway. And you might want to scribble this down. So if you're here from a church and you're thinking, I wish my church, you may be the church leader, you may be a, a member of the church, you may be sitting there thinking, I'd love my church to do something more in the community. Well, here is a tool that you can scribble down today and you can take away and use it. Get a little group of people together in your church who are interested in impacting the community, who are interested in seeking the peace and prosperity of your city, your town, your village. And you can take and use this. And in terms of preacher, it's five, five C's. Okay, the first C is calling. This model doesn't prescribe what to do. It's simply a model that helps churches ask what we believe are the most important questions. So the first C is for calling. What is Jesus already doing in our community? And how is he calling us to join in with him? Calling. What is Jesus already doing in our community, in our village, our town, our city? And how is he calling? How is he inviting us to join in with what he's already doing? My experience is we rarely start things. Well, we start lots of things and they don't work. But the things that work are the things that God is already doing. And we're simply joining in with him. Those are the things that work. The second C is for community. What are the most pressing social needs in your neighbourhood, in your ward, in this part of the village, this part of the town, this part of the city? What are the most acute social needs? I've seen so many churches want to start this or start that or start the other because every other church is starting it. It's the wrong way to go about it. We can't follow fadism. We can't just do things because everybody else seems to be doing it. It must come out of an understanding of our context, of our community. What are the most pressing social needs in our community? And you can find that out by standing at the school gate, by going and listening at the pub, joining in conversations at the pub, of reading your local strategic plan. There are lots of ways of getting under the skin of what the needs are in your local community. So that's the second C. The third C is for civic. What civic provision is already being made? What statutory provision is already out there? What are other agencies already delivering? Because the last thing we want to do is duplicate what is already going on and set ourselves up in competition to others. We should just go and join them with what they're doing. But there's normally areas where civic provision has either been stopped or it's been reduced significantly, and there are very acute uh, areas of gaps of social need. So actually asking the question, where, what statutory provision is already being made? Where is it being reduced? Where has it been withdrawn? Where are the greatest pains? Where are our civic leaders sensing we feel overwhelmed and we feel unable to actually do anything or do very little to address this particular area? So first C is for calling. Second C is for community. Third C is for civic. Fourth C is for church. To ask ourselves the question, what resources 
assets, capabilities, does our church have that it could offer on a sustainable basis? Because we don't want to be a flash in the pan. There's no point in starting something and running full at it for six months and then running out of energy and resources and get up and go to do it. You may as well not bother starting. We need to be in what we do for the long haul. So ask, what is it that our church has? What has God put in the hands of our church that we could offer our community on a sustainable basis Week in, week out, year in, year out. Now, there might come to an end to the project. That need may shift or change or be fully met. But we need to be able to start things that can be sustained by the church. I mean, some research we've done on the project Cinnamon recognises and promotes. Uh, after the first year, 98% of the, 97% sorry, of the projects continue into year two and 93% of the projects we help start continue into year three. That's sustainability. So what resources and assets does our church have that we can offer on a sustained basis? And then the fifth C is for choice. Based on that understanding and those insights and that information, therefore, what are we going to choose to do? Because we can't just be a talking shop. Well, some churches are just talking shops. Well, well, not just talking shops, but we preach a bit, we pray a bit, we praise a bit. Um, but the Bible we all read says faith without action is dead. So if all we do is preach and praise and pray, and I love all that, I'm a preacher, so I love preaching. But if that's all we do, our faith is privatised. In fact, why, why are some of the places in the world that have the highest level of church attendance that have some of the highest levels of confessions to christ why are those same places some of the places that have the highest level of corruption of domestic violence of abortion why is that because it's a privatized faith it's great between me and jesus i know where i'm going when i die but that's where it ends well and trying to take a few other people with me in the same privatized faith but it's impotent to change society. Our faith has to work. Because faith without action is dead. It's literally dead. And our communities and our cities and our towns and our cities, they crumble. Because God calls us to seek the peace and prosperity of our communities. Because when our communities flourish and we will flourish and that is the condition that God puts on his promise of hope and of a future that's it so Hilary come and tell us two or three stories of where you've seen churches in Ireland lean into their communities a little bit more and maybe they've used elements I mean that's the cinnamon model, calling, community, civic, church choice. But it's, 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 it, it, it just helps ask the right questions. But lots of churches instinctively do some of that, and they do amazing things. So come and tell us what you've seen. Thank you. I'm going to start with one which isn't anything to do with cinema, as far as I know, but a, a, a Baptist church in Belfast that started a project called Dream Scheme 
which um, really goes into local communities and encourages young people to get involved in making a difference. So it might be litter picking up, uh, it might be serving um, the elderly, it might be doing something like that. Um, but because you, with young people, you always want to try and give them an incentive on the back of what they do. They earn points and the points mean that they end up being able to have a reward. And, and it was a lovely project we watched um, going on in one of the local estates and made a, a, a big impact and a, a big impact actually in Christian young people coming alongside some of their peers as well. So Dream Scheme, um, uh, Newton Breeder Baptist project, which was just lovely. And it was often funded by uh, the Police and Community Safety Partnership, which is just a very interesting comment that they recognise, the police recognise the value um, of the project and, and recognise the impact that it was having. And it's just as a little by-the-by quite interesting to know that often in local councils, then they have pots of funding available. One of the ones they have is called PCSP, Police and Community Safety Partnership, and therefore um, the police have quite an impact in making allocations of funding like that so they're looking to see how can they invest in helping make an impact in the communities another police connected project is one that actually i don't know if tommy wants to come and be ready to add anything into what i want to say no because he's mentoring this group at the moment and it's called active listening and it was started by a community policeman, I think, in 2007. Um, and it really what they were identifying is that so often they go into a crisis situation. They're responding to a 999 call. Maybe there is um, a situation where there's been some domestic violence. Maybe there's been a crisis. Um, and they go in. They deal with the issue as it is presented. But they don't have the time to go back and listen and talk and enable the people who've been involved to have that conversation. And so often somebody needs someone to talk to. So active listening has been set up so that local churches um, have volunteers and who have teams. They'll meet with people in a public space. The police will, give, will say to someone, if you've, if you've rung them, would you like someone who would just come and talk to you and come and meet with you? It's not a counselling, it's a listening um, opportunity. And they'll meet up a couple of times, talk to the person, give them the opportunity to tell their story which, as we know, in Northern Ireland, is so often one of the biggest needs. People need to tell their story and know that somebody else has listened to it. So Active Listening is a project that currently Cinnamon is mentoring through and we hope will become one of what we call our recognised projects. What I love about the recognised projects is that somebody else has road-tested them and rolled out all the bumps. You know, I said to you, in Willowfield, we've tried some things and some of them have been great and some of them have been in spectacular failures. So now it's quite nice to be able to pick up some road-tested projects where other people have, you know, have done, dealt with it. They've had the, the spectacular failure moments. Um, another project which is just about to become a recognised project is called Safe Church. Um, and it's part of a connected uh, group of, of things where there's... Um, trying again to give people somewhere where they feel they can go and talk and tell a story and know they can go and look for help. It particularly is dealing with domestic violence and I've got leaflets about this um, here and um, if you ha there's a little logo and if your church was to go through the training um, and you would then be able to have resources available so that somebody coming into your church and realistically we need to recognize that there are people in our churches Sunday by Sunday who are victims of domestic violence or know somebody in their family who is a victim of domestic violence. We may not like to think like that, but it is a reality. Safe Church is about saying, 
here are the people you can talk to, here are the resources that you might need. This is a place where you can come and the, the logo would be recognized and people, you know, sometimes you might go into a solicitor's office to talk about a situation and see the same logo. Isn't it nice to think that the churches can be part of a, of a really high-level professional caring um, for our communities? Um, within um, our own uh, church, we have a lot of people in our local streets, a lot of young people, um, lots and lots of antisocial behavior. And those of you uh, who remember back a few years will remember the problems there were in Belfast with a lot of rioting on the back of the city council decision to take down the Union Jack. They were called the flag protests. And they were literally happening within 100 yards or so um, of our church building and, and all around the streets where, where we work and where we do outreach. And we got a phone call out of the blue from somebody in the city council who said, if we gave you some money, could you do something diversionary that would take young people away and get them out of the, of the area for, during the flower protests? And we would have run a lot of youth activities, and a lot of youth outreach, a lot youth clubs and things like that. We had some great relationships. Um, we had some brilliant volunteers and youth workers. So for about six weeks running, we arranged a special event um, uh, we took them out of Belfast, we took them go-karting, we took them on things that we could never afford to take them, but because the council was paying, um, generously paying for, say, the, the coach or something like that, we had, we, we, all we said was, we have, um, do you want to come go-karting today? Do you want to come to ice skating? Do you want to come, whatever it was that we were going to do that particular week? After a couple of weeks, somebody said to one of our volunteers, it's a pity you always do it at the same time as the flag protest. Um, and uh, so they kind of didn't quite work it out, but it was, it was brilliant. But what really was amazing was uh, after the, the worst of the rioting had calmed down and the, the PSNI actually issued photographs of young people who they were trying to identify who'd been involved and who were you know, the real troublemakers. We were absolutely thrilled because none of the young people that we were working for were on that list. And that was a real sense of achievement and a sort of sense of God working and changing things in a very specific way. You know, some of those kids were spared a criminal record that would have, you know, just destroyed their future and their hope. And, and that was actually the council identifying that there was a local church that they knew was doing stuff on the ground in the local community they needed help, and they came to us. Now, we were amazed that they were willing to trust us and they were willing to come and to, to, to talk to a local church in, in that way. But I think, as Matt says, um, actually, they recognize the value of what local churches do. They recognize the fact that we are pouring in hours and hours and hours of voluntary time and making a difference, and that we churches have been there maybe for hundreds of years. We're not community groups that have just suddenly popped up we have track records we have demonstrated our commitment to the local community we own buildings we have staff we have committed volunteers um, and and that's a, a significant part i think of what goes on and why actually civic groups church uh, psni city councils are willing to talk and delighted to work with churches and that's been a surprise to me but it's been a great, uh, it's been greatly exciting to see how those partnerships can begin to happen. Can I tell one more story just quickly about another project? Um, because this is a project that we've just started running. It's a cinnamon project called Peace Together, which we started in January because 
we would have lots of um, single mums living in the streets all around our church. And we um, have struggled over the years to find ways of connecting with people. Um, there is an expectation. I think that if you're going to come to church, you've got to have your life sorted out to some extent. Um, and however much we try to say, come as you are, everybody's welcome. It's been a bit of a struggle. And I think many of you would identify those kind of issues in perhaps the outreach that you do. And I got an email, I think literally last July, um, and it was from Cinnamon, and it was said, uh, there is a, a project called Peace Together. It's going to do some training in Northern Ireland in um, September, October time. And if you'd like to send them along, please do. So we, I read up about it. It was a 10-week course that identifies um, ways of which it, it provides. Basically, you know women, we like to talk to each other. Um, and we're, we're quite open, you know, we're quite happy to open up and to talk about the things that matter. But actually, sometimes it's much easier to do that when you've got something else that you're doing together. And this is a project which uses different crafts as a way of, of helping people to, to talk and to talk about some of the deep stuff in their lives. So, for example, the first project that they do is all about using something that's broken and turning it into a beautiful piece of art. Now, I um, am not any good at anything like that, but I recognize the value of what the project was talking about. So I sent a colleague on the training. Uh, she had recently been widowed. She had come through, um, she'd come to faith. God had done a lovely, uh, gentle work in her life. She would say she's the last person to stand up and speak and preach, but she's brilliant at coming alongside people, building relationships. And she's used this piece together tool, which is what it is. It's a course that's been put together superbly well it has all the information that she needs to be able to run the course and it's been so successful she's run it four times since january we can only take 10 people at a time we're starting two more in september and there's already a waiting list for january of next year because um, it's provided women with a way of building relationships connecting with each other we've had people on it who've been impacted by the troubles we've had people who have been really um struggled all the way through their lives with issues of well just stuff the sort of stuff that is often difficult for us and even in our churches sometimes we find we need keys to help people to unlock their stuff and allow them to find ways of getting jesus in uh, and we've had uh, three of those folks, I think, have been baptized over the last few months. So it has just been a wonderful story. So it's not so much one about how we engage in society, but it is one about how we engage with local people who live in the same streets, in the go to the same shops that we go to, but who we wouldn't otherwise necessarily meet. And, and it's just been fantastic. So I've got leaflets about all of those projects. Um, and I think I'll hand back to Matt now, but I'd love to tell you more about them later. Thank you, Hilary. Wonderful stories. So now it's your time to talk and uh, ask questions of Hilary and myself. We've got about 15 minutes, so um, if somebody's got something they'd like to ask a question about, um, just indicate. And uh, it's one gentleman there. Anybody else? Another one there? Anybody else got a question? One there, one there. Okay, so we've got four to get us going. Would you like to start? Would you mind standing up and... Uh, and, and, and raise your voice so everybody can hear your question. If they can't, I'll repeat it. I wasn't just sidestepping that because it was a difficult <laughs> question. It was Hillary that specifically mentioned this. 
Yes, just to repeat the question. So I mentioned um, some spectacular failures in projects and, and the, the question really is, could I say a little bit more about those? Well, one that immediately comes to mind is um, parenting courses. I don't know if those some of you have come across some really brilliant resources um, on parenting courses put together by all sorts of different groups, including Care for the Family, and, you know, they're excellent. Um, my husband and I used to be in a church in Kilkeel. We had lots of families in our church. We had lots of young families, and we thought, we'll try one of these. We'd heard of some friends in England who were running a course um, in their church in Ealing, and they'd been invited into the local school. They'd had lots and lots of people coming. It was a great success. So we sent out 100 letters. Two people turned up. And uh, it was just embarrassing because nobody really wanted to come. One of the people that turned up was my best friend. So I said to her, why is nobody coming to this? Is it because they've looked at our children and they think we're <laughs> desperate parents? And she said, no, it's because here we would find it so difficult to be somewhere where we might have to tell somebody our own failures and that we find it really difficult to say, this is an area I'm struggling with. And other, uh, we, we really found that a challenge we've done the same thing we've tried that again in Belfast we've had tried somebody else on the team running it because we thought maybe it would they would be better parents and people would come and listen to them but I think we find sometimes just culturally especially if you're going to go into a church situation you find it hard to admit um, and, and, and we have to set, find a way of saying to people this is a safe place this is somewhere you can trust us and that comes with building the relationships um, and takes a lot of time. And that's why I think I've been so thrilled with Peace Together, because in a sense, that's been able to establish and sidestep some of those challenges um, very, very quickly because it's it's been road tested for us. Thank you, Stephen and Hilary. Uh, gentleman here. Sorry, there. What's your name? Would you stand up? Thank you, Angus. So the question was, how do... Um, how are churches uh, tackling loneliness? Loneliness is a deep challenge in our society for people of all ages. I sat on a bus uh, last December and uh, there was a, an elderly lady sat next to me and I struck up a conversation with her and I said, are you looking forward to Christmas? And the look on her face told me all I needed to know. The answer was no, she wasn't looking forward to Christmas because she was going to be spending Christmas Day alone along with half a million other elderly people. Uh, loneliness is a deep challenge in our society. Uh, often with elderly people we uh, you know, often end up in care homes. The research says that elderly people are twice as isolated in care homes as they are in the community. Twice as isolated. Um, so there, there, there are a couple of projects, cinnamon-recognised projects, uh, addressing these issues. And, that, uh, and as you said, Angus, loneliness isn't just about the elderly, but let, let's start there. Um, one is called Linking Lives, and it helps churches set up a project to basically visit isolated people in their homes once a week. And frankly, what Christian couldn't give up one hour a week to go and have coffee in the home of an elderly person. Very few people couldn't give just 60 minutes a week to do that. Another really uh, impactful cinnamon-recognised project is called um, 
uh, care home friends. Uh, and this project uh, encourages a church to adopt a residential care home. There are 50,000 local churches in the United Kingdom. There are 17,000 residential care homes. Do the maths. Um, if one in three churches adopted a care home, that would be amazing. And uh, you know, in care homes, the average amount of time, social interaction an elderly person will receive in a day, on average, is three minutes. Three minutes. And so this project helps a church adopt a care home and basically go in and love people and spend time with people. So Angus, loneliness is a huge challenge. And those are a couple of the cinnamon-recognized projects that help churches address uh, aspects of loneliness. Uh, another question, gentlemen, there. What's your name, sir? Rob? Robin. Robin's question was around the use of the arts to engage people uh, to address uh, loneliness. Uh, there, there, are, there are churches I know of who use arts to drive engagement with their community. I was just saying to um, the gentleman that picked me up from the airport this morning, my wife's involved in a community lunch, as you referenced, and each week she goes and volunteers. And it's just a lunch for anybody who wants to come along. But it tends to be people who are available midweek at lunchtime, um, people who are out of work or retired, uh, homeless people, and they get the most eclectic bunch of people who turn up for this community lunch once a week. And it's not really about the lunch. It's about the relationships and the community. So whether it's food or whether it's arts, uh, actually just finding an excuse to engage people uh, and piece together is a great arts project. Uh, if I can just add one comment to that, um, wh where we are in, there's a, a quite a number of arts festivals that run during the year, and we always make our church building available. Um, so on Saturday night there was a concert, um, and we are always part of the C.S. Lewis Festival. This week it's the Woodstock Rhythm and Blues. But what we do is we make sure that we have our, we don't just let them have the building. We're part of it. So we either serve teas and coffees or we um, uh, make sure the staff team are there at, or some of our volunteers. And we always give people an invitation to come back to something else. We call it daisy chaining so that if you come to something, either if you come on a Sunday, we give you an invitation to come back to something else. Or if you come to something over Christmas, we invite you to something in the New Year or something in the New Year, something in Easter. So we use all those kind of concerts and other events like that in the same way. Um, we just say, you know, you're so welcome, please come back. Uh, here's an invitation to come to something else. And we found that that has been a great way of encouraging people to see it's not that strange to come across a church building. And once they've done it once, it's never quite as strange again to come back and has been a real blessing to people. Okay. You had a Before we take your question, other people have a question? So, gentleman, lady there. Okay. Great. We'll start here. What's your name and what's your question? Yes, so Alistair's question, if I can rephrase it slightly, is about the stewardship of people and of volunteers. Is that fundamentally it? Um, I could answer your question technically, but let me give you a slightly different answer. I find once people get involved, their hearts change and they want to give time 
once they've had an experience of going to a community lunch and sitting with a homeless person or sitting with a single mum or sitting with somebody who's been out of work for two years, something changes in their heart. Um, and, and so I think all these things offer opportunities to see people's hearts changed. And yes, we've all got jobs and families and homes to run and hobbies and... But I, I, I don't think our biggest problem is selflessness. And so I, 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 want to, I want my heart to be changed. And I want other people's hearts to be changed. And, uh, and, uh, and so I, I think our, our challenge isn't over selflessness. It's probably over selfishness. It's certainly on my part. Thank you. Sure. What's your name, sir? Andrew. Andrew. Um, I spent two and a half, Lots, and I'm sure Hillary might want to say something, but let me. Um, Cinnamon's particular focus isn't on getting Christians to do good things in the community. Our focus is to get the church to do good things in the community. Because I believe that so much I could say, but then it doesn't rely on an individual because this is the church's work. So the ch the church, some churches have been there for hundreds of years. They'll be there for hundreds of years to come. It's, a pretty, it's pretty hard to close a church. There are pretty robust things, even when they're small. Uh, and, and I think there's real, real power in, in, in unleashing the resources of a church into the community. And so our particular focus is actually about mobilising churches rather than mobilising individuals. There are, there are theological reasons about why as well, you know, but I won't go into all of those. But, but fundamentally, Cinnamon is particularly interested in local churches owning responsibility in their community, not solely individuals, because that is a challenge. Because unless the pastor, priest leader is standing up there and saying you know get involved roll up your sleeves um there'll be volunteers if all the pastor preaches is uh believe in jesus and you'll be saved let's see each other in heaven um that's nothing you know that's that's uh, part of the gospel but not the whole gospel uh, you know we'll always struggle to find volunteers and sustain these projects do you want to add anything to that Hillary? <laughs> We've got two minutes, apparently, so I'm going to be very quick. I think, the, the, actually, what you've identified is exactly the issue, that um, we, as churches, it's so important that people catch the vision, and that has to, it's usually is caught by hearing stories. Our church got involved in a project um, working in Cambodia, but it was because somebody came and spoke at a, a meeting, and one, of the, one or two of the leadership got involved, and then others of us caught the vision to be quite honest I recognize the fact that I caught the vision and keep banging the drum and keep nagging my husband does make a bit of a difference and most of our projects we, we have to say no this is a, that's a great idea but that's not something that we're going to do we have to keep saying what is our focus what are the needs of our community and therefore which are the ones that we're going to focus on for this next year or two years or three years um, because you can't do everything but it I think that's absolutely the, 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 the crux of the matter. Would it be okay if we move on? Over here? There was two more people, I think, can wanted we, to... We so got, I, gonna, can what, we do... We're can out we do of time. We're out of can, time. Can we, can we take those questions offline? Can we do them afterwards? Would that be okay? Um, just so we can 
respect the clock. I'd, I'd love to do more, um, but let, let's take it offline and do afterwards if we may. So both of you, please come and talk to us afterwards. Uh, just a couple of resources. There's a whole table of free things over here that either look kind of like this with the cinema logo on, and Hillary is our agent. I love that. Is the Cinema Network agent stroke advisor uh, in Northern Ireland. She's here to advise churches about how they can get involved more in the community. So if you want help, Hillary is here with a business card um, and uh, she uh, can help you. Um, in addition, um, I wrote a little book uh, that was published at the end of last year called Transformation, uh, subtitled What is God Doing and How Do We Join In? And it's what I see God doing around the world to bring churches together in communities to, to serve and to see gospel-centred transformation. So those are £10 each, uh, but uh, there's a pile of them here. Uh, not enough for everybody, uh, but there's enough for some of you. Thank you very much. On your behalf, let me thank Matt and Hilary for their contribution here today. Please show your appreciation again. Uh, what I didn't say in the introduction is that Matt is the author of 10 books. Um, they're not, unfortunately, on the bookstall, but I'm sure with the resources that you have, you'll find them if you want them. Start with this one. I'd recommend it highly. Let me pray briefly. Father, for this time together, we give you our thanks. Inspire us and lead us in our community action, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>